Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome to Stars Matter, a recruiting podcast from The Athletic. I'm Mitch Light, joined as always by Ari Wasserman. Ari, how you doing, bud? I'm doing good, man. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. Got a, uh, I think we say this every week, but got a good show planned this week. A lot going on. It's arrogant. Um, it's arrogant, but it's true. Yeah, it is. Hey, if, if, yeah, it's, yeah, it's arrogant, but it's true. If you, know, if you got it, flaunt it. Right, Ari? Yeah. Um, so an SEC team gets a massive commitment. We're going to talk about the something that we probably didn't think we'd be talking about five years ago, setting the market, financial market, for quarterbacks in college football in the era of the NIL. We're going to ask you to look back on a memorable recruiting visit for you, not recruiting as an athlete, recruiting as a reporter, which was part of your written mailbag. We're going to have an update on the class of 2023 quarterbacks. As we all know, those are usually the first to come off the board and the dominoes keep falling. And a class of 2022 five-star sets a commitment date. Yes, there are still a few 2022 guys out there. We'll have some questions from the mailbag and trivia. So, all right, let's dive in. That was a wonderful uh, intro into the show. Thank you. It's going to be much more exciting than it sounded. I seek your approval. And I don't think I'm getting your approval by the tone there. Sometimes. We'll proceed. We'll proceed. The big news of the week, not a surprise at all. But Tennessee grabs a five-star quarterback, Nico Imaliva, from California, number seven overall. The amazing thing, he's number seven overall in the class of 2023 in the 247 composite, but he's the number four quarterback. It's a good year for quarterbacks. So, all right, just, just your thoughts on Tennessee, a program that recruits at a, a national level and, and is not afraid to grab a top 10 or have a top five class over, over every, every so often. But this is their first five-star quarterback in a long time. Yeah, I mean, let's just address the elephant in the room. And I think that everybody is assuming sure. that this is the $8 million man. Uh, we can't confirm or deny that. But we'll talk about it. And if, yep. if it's uh, – first of all, everybody knows this is a huge get for Tennessee. Like, there's no question about it. Just from a football standpoint. Like, from a football, from a football standpoint, standpoint alone, you know, we can analyze what NIL means and, and what <clears> – <throat> potentially collectives can mean for the setting of the market and we will um for quarterbacks before and- you dive in let, the little research i did just for some context tennessee has signed 17 quarterbacks since 2010 um two top 100 three top 100 guys 50 uh jared garantano in 2016 was number 57 harrison bailey in 2020 was number 99 and Tyler Bray in 2010 was number 99. So again, of 17 quarterback signs since 2010, three top 100, two of which were barely top 100. Now they've got a the number seven quarterback. I think I read a stat somewhere prospect. though, Mitch. This is the first five star quarterback they've gotten a commitment from since like 2005 or, or, or earlier than that. And I I don't know what the exact number is, but it's been I think it's since 2002, if I'm not mistaken. 
Either way, it's been 15 or 20 years since this has happened. So from a football standpoint, you know, Tennessee, as you mentioned, has regularly signed top 10 classes. But the thing about Tennessee's top 10 classes were um, at the time when they signed those, they were the eighth or sixth or seventh best in the SEC. So even though it's a nationally rated class, they still were going to have a hard time, um, you know, competing in their conference because there's other teams that are consistently signing uh, far more players and better classes. So like, like as we talk about all the time in this podcast, um, the difference between the fifth best podcast and the the 10th best podcast <laughs> or even the third best and the sixth is huge, right? So You mean recruiting class, well, not podcast. Yeah, sorry. I was checking in <laughs> for a flight for tomorrow. Um, <laughs> I got a lot going on in my life right now. Um, Ari, we need, we need you to focus for like 45 minutes. I, I'm doing we that. We need you here. But you, you get okay. my point. Um, yes. So I guess the question here before we get into the NIL collective talk, Mitch, is does this commitment make you feel like Tennessee can take a step into the realm of signing a top five class? Because I think they can sign a top 10, you know, um, but we're talking about a staff here that was, you know, a year removed away from trying to flip kids from Western Kentucky. So like there's not Western Carolina, Western, whatever it was, it was Western, not power five. So it was, it, it was East Carolina. Yeah. It was the running back from East Carolina, yeah. which was Western group of five school X, regardless of geography or name. It's not where Tennessee yeah. needs to be. Just, I'd like to yeah. deal in facts. Yeah. So if you're, yeah. yeah. And, and what I said was a fact. So, um, the thing to me is that, do you think that this is going to be something that leads Tennessee into that type of promised land? Like people want to play with this kid. And that that kind of we we had a mailbag question about that. Melanie R asked a lot of smoke about Nico signing with the Vols. In your opinion, would this be a program changing type of commitment? Program changing, it just depends on the definition. It helps a lot, but as you know, R and you is we talk about with we use Texas A and M as an example. The way you win national titles or make the playoff, it's not one elite class. It's stacking them together. So it's surely not one elite player. Now, of course, this is going to help them, especially skilled players. They're going to sign. They're going to. They're going to be in the market for better wide receivers and better running backs. So, program changing. I don't know if I'll go that far. The program had a lot of momentum based on the the first season of uh, Josh. What Josh Heupel did last year. They were a fun team. I live here in Tennessee. There's a lot of enthusiasm. The question about is Josh there Heupel enthusiasm was for Tennessee in Nashville? Oh sure, yeah. I mean Nashville's. It's the state. I mean, it's, you know, it's, it's the biggest city. It's Nashville is a interesting dynamic because there's so many transplants. There's a ton of Ohio State people out here. Actually, there's a huge Auburn alumni base. There's tons of Alabama fans. Kentucky's 45. I just minutes didn't away. know if it was a Vol city. Yeah, it is. It's you, you'll you'll. When I was here in college in the early 90s, it was definitely. And now it's grown so much. There's so many more transplants. It's not as much like if you go to the mall on a Saturday or wherever you go, whereas 20 years ago, you'd see basically just mostly Tennessee stuff, some Vanderbilt stuff, maybe in Alabama, whatever. Now it's just like every SEC school. Like you go, you just see it's like a hodgepodge. So, and I think Atlanta's like that too. Um, Obviously, Chicago with the Big Ten. So, yeah, program changing is just, that's tough. I, do I think Tennessee is going to be a playoff team in two years? No, I don't. But obviously, getting a five-star quarterback is a great start, and um, it just continues the positive momentum. I to take people behind the curtain a little bit. 
use the the words pro program changing <clears throat> in my story sometimes and you change it. So I think that my bar for program changing is a little bit lower than yours. Yeah. Um, and that's fine because when you say program changing, in your mind, you're probably saying Tennessee has to go from a team that goes 500 in the SEC to a team that's knocking on the door of a playoff spot. And for me, I don't know that I quantify. But that's what their fans ex- expect. Yeah, but like, I don't know if Illinois I quantify program- it that way, though. I quantify okay. if Tennessee is going to be a main player in major recruitments across the country, if more players are going to want to play at Tennessee than they would have before. That doesn't necessarily you know, manifest into a playoff berth. But if he can legitimize Tennessee's existence as a program, I think that you can make the case that that is program changing. And I also think that you can make the case that a quarterback can do that better than anybody. I think that a five-star quarterback and a top 10 national player at that position is far more valuable than any single other commitment that you can get, which sounds obvious, but I would say it's probably, would you, if you were starting a, a class the year after Tennessee's class that, that, ranked 17th nationally and didn't have a single top 100 player in it, would you rather start the, t- the following class with a five-star top 10 national player at quarterback or three five-star prospects at other positions? Probably three five-star prospects at other positions. I think I would take the quarterback. And I know that sounds crazy, but... No, I'd, but, but, I had to think about I, it. it. Like Obviously, having three is better than one of anything. Um, but the quarterback, I think, inherently makes it a legitimizing situation and that more people would want to play with that player, especially because we're not talking about a five-star quarterback who is um, number 31 overall nationally. We're talking about top 10 and a person that's in the same conversation with Malachi Nelson and Arch Manning. Like, And, and I've read stories that people think that he's better than both of them. So he doesn't have the arch. How much? How much? You know, rankings change a lot too. It could happen. You know, at this point, Drew Aller was not on the radar, and I think one surface had him as the number one quarterback, or he might. And then Cade Klubnick, uh, you know, he 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 jumped up the the rankings too. I'm not and saying you know when that happens. Be... Usually, that happens around the Elite Eleven finals because right, everybody's the there watching it, and it's it's crazy yeah. to say, Mitch. It's been over a year since I was in L.A. doing that. Uh, you know, in a few months, it'll have been a year, and I'm going to be going back hopefully. So. You know, when those players go out there and perform a certain way, like Quinn Ewers was the talk of the universe last year, he didn't lose that number one spot distinction. But when we went to the Elite 11, it was like, holy crap, Drew Aller is playing or performing just as well as the number one player in the country. And that's why you saw that. So I think that I would be shocked if Arch Manning were to fall, just because, like we've said on this podcast before, I feel like Arch Manning's name is obviously part of the hype, but it's also the most you know valuable thing that a program can do in terms of getting the player that everybody's been talking about for the past two years. So I think just from that standpoint, I know that everybody thinks rankings are just about about uh, how good you are on a on a pure level, but I do think that there's an influential meter here, and he's a very influential player. So you know, but if somebody that sits down and watches footwork and sees the releases of throws and and watches game tape and is a true talent evaluator wants to look at me in the eyes right now and say, Hey, you know what? Nico is better than Arch Manning. Like from a pure talent perspective, like I would listen to that. I don't think that's an agreement. So so that's what we're talking about here. Top 10 player. Yeah. Your, your point being, he's not a fringe five star. This guy is like the top 10 player. This guy is pick where you want to go. Good. And you know, the only reason why he might not, he's not ending up at USC (laughs) <laughs> only reason from a recruiting standpoint is that USC has Malachi Nelson on the fold under Lincoln Riley. So for Tennessee, this is a monumental get. And I do think that in 2023, like last year, number 17 overall, number eight in the SEC is not going to cut it. Like that's not, 
that's not that's a program not a pro- changing class. I mean, that's not a pro. That's a that's a middling SEC team. That was number eight. The only teams in the SEC that recruited worse than them last year was Auburn, who almost fired their coach because of it. Ole Miss, which is like transfer transfer central, South Carolina, Mississippi State, Arkansas, and Vandy. So like every right. other team that Tennessee expects to to beat, Florida, Missouri, Kentucky, LSU, Georgia, Alabama, and A and M have all recruited vastly better than them. So the second part of this is. What does this mean if Nico is the person who received an $8 million bump from a collective? And does that set the market for what other similarly rated players are going to expect in the future at other places? That's part one. Part two, I think, is do other players joining Tennessee or other players who are coming to Tennessee, are they going to expect compensation within the same realm as well? And will that be, you know, Hypothetically is speaking, is, is there, there a salary cap with a specific? I mean, there's not a hard cap, but it's eight million over over um, right over four years if he stays. Right, like, so the, the pool of money isn't infinite, too. It it's, it it depends on the, which collective quote collective slash school there is, but and I'm just thinking out loud here, like w- how many two million dollar a year deals can they extend? I don't know the my answer. My understanding, Mitch, and. There's no concrete way to answer this because it's still starting. And as we know, college football has a tendency to go off the rails a little bit. But my understanding is that collectives would like to spend $10 million per roster. Not per year, per Per roster. roster. Now, I don't know if that's going to be doable if you're handing out eight of the 10 um, to one player. But you got to remember that's only $2 million if you're doing it by an annual, annual calendar. So if you have $8 million more to play with of NIL collective money, hypothetically at Tennessee, then you could get a lot of other players there. So like if Nico is the first person or the catalyst of setting that quarterback market and Tennessee is shown that they're willing to accommodate that, again, all hypothetically, yeah, you could sign a really good class the type of class that is going to be astronomically better than the one they signed last year. And the thing that I said on Andy Staples show yesterday, and I'm very curious um, to what you think of it is as recruiting analysts, we are judging, commenting, praising, criticizing coaches for the way they've recruited. That's a main tenet of our job. I don't know how to evaluate Josh Heupel in this scenario. If, if this is what's going on, so that to me is going to be a very interesting wrinkle because I do think that athletic directors across the board are kind of backwards a little bit with how they evaluate their coaches before hiring and firing them. I think recruiting takes too much of a secondary viewpoint when I think it should be primary. But now, if you're going to take Josh Heupel, the person who couldn't get a single top 100 player to sign in his class during this first full cycle last year, the number seven overall player in the country – is that a Tennessee thing? Is that a Heupel thing? Or is that a collective thing? Because like I don't even know how to evaluate him as a coach now. Like Is Josh Heupel a better recruiter now than he was last year? He's supposedly, no, he's if not. this is the kid that got the money, it would be against right. the rules for him to be a part of that. So, you know, obviously collectives and coaches aren't supposed to talk. They're not supposed to. Come on. I, I bet my life that they've talked. and And I bet that every other collective that is going to exist, which is probably going to be at all major programs across the country in the next year, are going to talk to their coaching staffs too. There's no way to, I mean, if, if you want to spend the money the right way, you want to spend it on the guys that your coach wants. 
And obviously, when you're talking about a kid that's rated in the top 10 nationally, it's obvious. Everybody wants that guy. But as it pertains to what about the four-star prospect who uh, rates number 231 overall and is considering Auburn, uh, Georgia, Florida State, and I don't know. Texas A&M Arizona. or Arizona. But like the middle tier player that yeah. could turn out to be a pro baller one day, but isn't a top five, five-star prospect that's going to end on the up on the list that we do, the, the big board that we do once a month. It's like, does that kid going to get 400000 a year? Is he going to get fifty grand, ten grand? So like, I think that setting the market here is an interesting dynamic, not just because of the quarterback position, but because of everybody else too. Because as you know in the NFL how this works – what do, what do players and their agents do? They say, hey, you know what? This person uh, who plays the same position who might not be as good as me signed an $8 million deal with the Falcons. I'm better than him. That's our starting point. People look around. People talk. And parents and coaches, um, high school coaches and prospects are more educated about the process than they've ever been before. And now that money's on the table, people are going to be very motivated to squeeze out every dime they can possibly get out of these collectives. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Yeah, like, what do you think? Jaden Davis is the number one quarterback in the um, 2024 class, kid from Charlotte. I know, correct me if I'm wrong, I think Ohio State's hot and heavy after him. What's his family doing right now? They're they're looking to see They're where the sitting on a set. table where they have one of those calculators where the paper comes out. But it's like, <laughs> I don't think this is a 2024 thing, Mitch. I think this is a 20. Well, I know. I think, I'm, just, I'm just saying yeah. quarterbacks. It, well, yeah, quarterbacks. Yeah, it's a 2023 thing because we're so early in the 2023 cycle. But future quarterbacks are looking at this and saying, "This, you know, I'm, I'm better than Nico. I'm better than this kid, like you just said." And they're going to expect certain things. So it's going to be fascinating to see what happens over the next year and how it plays out. And no one steal this idea from Antonio Morales, our USC writer. We were slacking back and forth, and he had a story idea that he might be working on. Be interesting to your take on this. Could the NIL? kind of make the superstar recruiter obsolete you know i mean why why would they be good at recruiting if the only thing that is being done is negotiating about money and they're not allowed to be a part of it how does that how does that factor in so so maybe the superstar recruiters are more of a commodity further down the college football food chain which is a scary thing for the prospects of like what we do yeah like the top 10 or 15 schools are getting their recruits basically through nil collectives this is all just hypothetical so the, 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 the Arizonas of the world, that next, that next year, Cal, whatever, Minnesota, those are the schools that really need the ace recruiters, not Ohio State, not Alabama. You know, I, I doubt that this is probably a little extreme. You still need to recruit kids and you still need to form relationships and all that. But uh, we're, just, we're just kind of just entering these waters. Here's what I'm thinking. don't though. know what's going to happen. If you have a player – like Nico, who has got offers from, let's just say, not Nico, but somebody else like him. Five-star prospect, top 10 national player. He's considering Alabama, Ohio State, Clemson, Arizona State, 
Colorado, and Stanford. Will Alabama, Georgia, Ohio State, and Clemson have to pay him less because as a result of him signing with those teams, he's put in a better position to succeed with the larger scale, which is making it to the NFL. So it's like, to me, it's like a bargain. It's like, I would want to be paid more to go to places less desirable than I would want to. Like a hometown discount almost. That's not the same thing, but. Yeah, I mean, like, listen, if I were Nico, and this is the person that got the eight mil, if I were a five-star quarterback, I would have never gone to Tennessee under any circumstance if it was two years ago. But I I would totally disagree with you. First of all, I was going to say that. Why hasn't it happened in 20 years then? I'm not I'm not surprised that Josh Heupel was able to recruit a top level quarterback because he proved this year that well he's proved every stop but there's two stops at like Hendon Hooker, a transfer from Virginia Tech was a very, very good quarterback and it's going to enter next season as, you know, SEC first team all SEC quarterback or one of the top quarterbacks in the league. And what have we talked about? Quarter I, I know you Tennessee get Tennessee is not a quarterback schools, destination as it relates to a top ten player nationally. I'm not saying that Josh at, Heifel can't look at coach. quarterback rosters in the NFL. We've been over this. It doesn't really matter where I know, you go. It's about but top ten quarterbacks before NIL, because what, there's only two or three a year, are considering the same five schools in Tennessee is not one of them. So I'm not saying that Josh Heifel doesn't know how to coach quarterbacks or that you can't make it to the NFL from Tennessee. I'm just saying I'm not. That's not where I'm going. If I can pick, I'm, just, I'm not shocked that Tennessee was able to sign a five-star quarterback, even throwing NIL well, out there. I would go there now, is what I'm saying. If I were a five-star quarterback prospect, I'd want to go play for Lincoln Riley, or I'd want to go play at one. Lincoln of the Riley f- has his quarterback. Yeah, you're not understanding what I'm saying, and it's frustrating. I know what me. you're saying. Okay, I, I, I am. Saying that if there's a five-star quarterback and nobody has a commitment anywhere, Tennessee is not on the list of the top five schools that those quarterbacks have ever considered. So if that's the case, and again, it's not taking away from what Tennessee can be. Your points are warranted, and I understand them. If I were getting paid $8 million as an uncommitted five-star quarterback, I would consider them more than I ever would have before, obviously. And it would be a reason enough for me to go. $8 $8 million is enough to change your life forever. When we first started talking about NIL, we used to say how stupid it would be to go to a school for twenty dollars or $15,000, right? Because the main goal is to try Definitely to get developed right. into the NFL and make the real money. But if we're talking about eight mil, that is the real money. So the schools like Tennessee, and then you can use Tennessee as an example. Who's another middling Power five school that used to be good. Let's say Nebraska or let's say Arizona State or any of the other schools that could never get a five star quarterback before this world existed. I would go to any of them for eight million because eight million dollars is the bag. Like that's like that's enough money for me to feel like I've cashed in on my talents. And then, of course, if you go to Tennessee, Nebraska, Arizona State or any other place I just said, you still could make it to the NFL per your point, which is look at the best quarterbacks in the country. The best one on the face of the earth went to Texas Tech. So, like, to me, like, that's the, the, the game changer here. And that, like, when, when, like, I say it's setting the market, $8 million makes me want to go. I'd go pay, I'd go play at a group of five Eastern schools Michigan. for $8 million. Yeah, I, I don't play care where I play. In Ypsilanti. Seriously, like, if anybody offered your kid five-star quarterback uh, Mitch Light Jr., if if Eastern Michigan offered him $8 million and he had a, had an offer from Alabama, Georgia, Tennessee, Clemson, and any other school, and they were offering him four, would you take the eight? I would. I don't know. Good question. Four million is still a lot. Four million is a lot to lose. You take that off the table, you're doubling it. 
So, like, to me, I wonder if these collectives are going to even the playing field, not just at places like at Tennessee that have one of the richest fan bases in the country and one of the best stadiums in the Volney. I can understand why anybody would want to play there. Yeah. But what about Arizona? What about Kansas State? What about any of the other million examples that we could come up with that are in that same realm? Are they going to start taking quarterbacks from Bama because they're paying more? And like Alabama doesn't have to pay as much because Alabama is Alabama. Part of your tuition to go to Alabama or part of your NIL benefit is being coached by Nick Saban, which is invaluable. Now, let me interject here. And this was in uh, Stu Mandel's story about the NIL. And we should probably know this. But these collectives, are do they hold, I believe they hold your exclusive rights, basically. So my the point is like Bryce Young's, Whatever the number was, million dollar quarter. So you can't go do another ad, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, so like Alabama can, Alabama's collective can quote can't quote unquote lowball someone and only offer them two million because he can go out on his own and get another four million. Like that's not the way it works, right? The collectives own. If your, you if you sign with a collective, the way that I understand it is that yes. you are property, or your name, image, and likeness is there properly, basically, while you're in college. That's why the, that's why it's so important that these lawyers have gotten involved and protect. But if you could the, guarantee the, the eight million dollars, yeah, I mean, I don't know what an average uh, NFL player makes, but you're starting to get into professional money there. Yeah. Now, obviously, they make way more than eight million dollars over a four year period, but anybody who has eight million dollars after a four year period, I mean, honestly, the kid doesn't have to go to school. Like, I mean, just take the the Guess stay eligible. You, well, you don't get it all at once. No, I know, but if you have a four-year period, and I know you have to stay eligible, I'm not saying that uh, – I'm just saying his education probably at that point doesn't matter because he'd be set up financially if he invested correctly and you know used that money wisely would be set for life. I mean, even with inflation and the way things are going right now, I think $8 million is more than enough for a human being to live a pretty comfortable lifestyle for 40 years right now. So, gotcha. you know, I, I – everything that we said about NIL – of short-sightedness or um, playing for the wrong place for too little money and making a dumb decision that's that robs you of a future that could be far more lucrative, I think once you get to this point goes out the window, which is very right. interesting because I'm going to be very curious to see how many programs like hypothetically Tennessee would be able to afford this type of contract because I don't know. There's but money much everywhere. lower down the food chain. There's going to be situations like you've talked about. There's rich people at all these places. Yeah, but there, but I mean, lower low down the food chain for the three number three hundred kid, the number four hundred kid. Yeah, the the opportunity to go to the quote unquote wrong program for him for the fifty thousand dollars or the twenty five because the whole so thing that's, to not, me, that's Mitch, not off the table. My understanding of NIL was that a kid that might make thirty thousand dollars a year more than he would have, or thirty thousand dollars period. Bryce Young might make a half a million or a million. Quinn Ewers, people who are very marketable and play the quarterback position might be exceptions. But for the most part, the vast majority of prospects who are recruitable or being recruited wouldn't make nearly that much. So now if you're going to put $8 million on the table, that completely rejiggers my mind into thinking, well, what are the average players going to get? And it's like now if your third string offensive guard is making $110,000 a year from collective money because he happened to be a low-range four-star prospect who actually couldn't play, then you're talking about an entirely different thing that might shift the paradigm of recruiting. Unless this completely comes out to be ridiculous in two years and say, we're not doing this shit anymore, and then it comes back down to earth. But right now, like I was, when I saw the eight, I was blown away. 
All right, let's move on. Um, we will be talking about this a lot more in the future, I'm sure. Um, a few more commitments to talk about. Texas, Dylan Spencer, defensive lineman, number 175 from Houston. Committed to Texas, not Texas A&M. Duke, I'm just bringing this up. They got Seth Davis, not uh, not the, the college, college basketball, basketball writer at the analyst? Athletic. Yeah, not, not, uh, not our colleague. The reason I bring this up, he's not a four-star. It's because he's from Katy, Texas, and Mike Elko, the new head coach at Texas, uh, at Duke, obviously was the Texas A&M defensive coordinator. So recruiting Texas for Duke. And Illinois got a commitment today from Caden Fagan, Fagan, a four-star athlete from Arthur, Illinois. So look at Brett Bielema getting a four-star in-state kid. Um, did this – we haven't talked about it in – um, did you notice that uh, Texas A&M lost Eli Holstein, the four, the borderline five-star quarterback from Zachary, Louisiana, number 54 overall? Um, it's interesting. He cited coaching changes as the reason for his decommitment, but there really haven't been any significant changes at Texas A&M. LSU, hot and heavy after him. Oregon Did he say he cited coaching changes at A&M or coaching changes across no, the board? No, he cited coaching changes. That, well, I that, mean, like if you actually yeah. think about a kid from Houston in his position. Well, he's from he's from Zachary. I'm Louisiana. sorry, Louisiana. Which Zachary, Louisiana, yeah. and Houston are the same place in my head, by the way. Okay. Once you start talking about Louisiana, but your head is a very weird. Yeah, place like geographically Louisiana. speaking. Okay. When you start talking about a kid in this in that general area of the country, because like I take Houston, the city of Houston in southeastern Texas, and I draw a huge circle around it that goes all the way. Three, what? Three hundred mile circle? How, how I don't know about three hundred miles, uh, but like. The majority of the Metroplex in Texas, all the way around into Louisiana, into that territory, or and, and like up, up to Dallas and around, um, the five-star prospects in that area, hell, the the top two hundred prospects in that area who are considering Texas, Texas A&M, Oklahoma, LSU, and all the other schools that tend to recruit that area, have a completely different, um situation at all the places that they're typically considering. Oklahoma has a new coach. TCU has a new coach. Um, Texas A&M just signed a class that has changed the way that we view them. Texas is trying to fight that eternal battle of getting back. LSU has a new coach. So it's just like if Eli Holstein, I don't know where Zachary, Louisiana is in the state of Louisiana. Maybe you can help me out with that since you went to Vanderbilt. But I would not be surprised if, hey, I'm giving... LSU a second look now that they have a new coach or I'm giving everybody a second look now that they have a new coach um, is a huge thing because anybody who in the state of Texas or in Louisiana or in that general area of the country is dealing with a bunch of schools that are brand new from what we thought about them 12 months ago. So um, very interesting to see how Texas recruiting is going to pan out this year. And I'm very curious to see if LSU can get back into Houston, if A&M is going to continue to dominate Houston, um, if Texas is going to, you know, come back from the dead or if Oklahoma is going to be fine. Like all four of those schools are in a very, very critical point, I think. Zachary is just northeast of Baton Rouge, Louisiana. Like northeast, like meaning like it's a suburb? Yes, I believe. Yeah. It's very, very close. Yeah, I think we can Um, write. Maybe we can read the the writing on the wall there. Yeah. Yeah. So a quarterback update. Um, This is not the trivia question, but just how many quarterbacks do you think are of the 23 class have committed? How many of, of what? The class of 23. Like total? 2023. Yeah. How many quarterbacks have committed, do you think? I'm keeping a running list. I've got a spreadsheet here. Like, were you even counting like ones that are rated in the 800s? Yes. I couldn't even begin to answer that. Like 23. Holy shit. Did I hit it? Yeah. 
Exactly. Too bad that the, the, that's not the trivia question, though, so you don't get credit. Holy crap. That is funny. Yeah. I'm very proud of you. 23, 20, 23 quarterbacks have committed. Um, it's interesting. All but one are to a Power 5 school. I don't get so, credit for that, Mitch. I had no I was just a – I just threw a number yeah. out there. Yeah. Um, I'm going to Vegas this weekend for my bachelor party, so I, hopefully the, the I can do that at the, the roulette continues. table. Yeah. Um, the only non-Power 5 school – that has a quarterback commitment is Eastern Michigan, which we've used several times as our uh, NIL example. Uh, Drew Viato, the number 56 quarterback, is going to Eastern Michigan. But so, yeah, tw- there's. Um, you know what's funny about that, Mitch? What? Eastern Michigan was the school that offered Caleb Williams a million dollars, right? Well, I think it wasn't. I don't think they offered him. Who was it? Their it was a. Sort of I can't remember the person's. It was yeah. the former player. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I, I remember. I said he'd give him a million bucks. But could you imagine? Yeah, I don't he, think that was. I don't think that was a legit. I think it was just throwing it out there. I know, but if it, that's why that's why we use it as the example. But what I was going to say is, if he ended up going to Eastern Michigan for that million, because I thought that was a tempting offer. Could you imagine like him sitting there right now watching an eight million dollar quarterback out of high school? <laughs> like how bad he like, and that's what we were talking about with yeah. with setting the market. Like that is like with new information like at the time when that story was circling on the internet and again it might have been a joke but to me i was sitting back thinking like if i were caleb williams i might take a million dollars to go play at eastern michigan for a year a million dollars is a lot of money and now with more information the market has reset and now we are starting to view those things differently and it'll be very interesting to see how that evolves that's all i was going to say yeah so so again, 23 quarterbacks usc tennessee obviously oklahoma louisville arizona i can go down the list um all Power Five schools except for Eastern Michigan. Um, Josh Connerly, Jr., uh, offensive lineman from the from Seattle, is committing April eighth. Uh, Michigan, USC, Oklahoma, Oregon, Miami, Washington. I know Washington's made a late push, but don't think with that new staff, um, it's going to be there. So another Seattle area five star not signing with the Huskies. Um, TCU. The back of the Horn Frogs practice jerseys say. DFW's Big 12 team. So it's clear that Sonny Dykes. That's funny. That's Sonny Dykes' reason for taking the job, too. (laughs) Yeah. He's taking the SMU model to Fort Worth and is just hoping he can kind of, I don't know, double it, whatever, 2.0. Like, because he was recruiting very well at SMU, something you've written written about a lot. So um, that'll be interesting there. Do you, when you drive around, you asked me about Nashville. When you drive around Dallas, um, do you sense you're in a, a, a Texas city, a Texas. It's really A&M's. mixed. Yeah. A&M ones are the loudest. Including your fiance. Yeah. Well, she doesn't belong there. Okay. She, uh, I don't know if you know this She's, about her, but she. Yeah, I, I, th- I know enough about her. But did you, did I tell you how she ended up there? Yes. Okay. Yes. Yeah. Sight unseen from Las Vegas. That's, that's who I'm marrying. Texas A&M grad who went from nightclub working and working at pool to <laughs> landing in cowboy uh, boot nation. Aggie land. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but yeah. I was really surprised when I first moved here, actually, how big of a deal SMU is to the people who live here. SMU people have, from what I gather, lot, I mean, every everyone likes their school. Pride, a lot of pride. A lot of pride place. in SMU. It's a great school from what I understand, too, right? Since you have the uh, World Nation and World Report or whatever, like, memorized. You can't. You don't even know the name of the what is it? The, the publication U.S. News and World Report. U.S. News and World Report. Yeah. What is what um, U.S. News are they reporting? 
It's a magazine. I don't know. It's been around forever. Oh, I thought that like that was their whole U.S. News and World Report is like Time. I mean, it's not as big, but like, oh, Time, Newsweek, thought, and U.S. News and World. Report I thought U.S. News natural. and World Report's only existence was to rank colleges. I didn't know they did other things. No, it's it's a. It, I don't I don't know if they still publish a print magazine because now they just rank colleges and you make sure Vandy's a top ten school every night before you go to bed. It's not ten. It's fifteen. I think. <laughs> I think. Um, question for you: we, We're going to hit the mailbag. We got other things, and then I want to talk about your trip. And I, I thought we were done talking NIL, but I wanted to bring this up to you. If you were a coach, I'm going to use Wake Forest example as a culture program. You know, Dave Clawson has done a great job building a culture there. They don't recruit at a, for, at a high level at all. It's, they, they evaluate. They've gotten, they've struck gold with quarterbacks. Would you? And I think I know the answer because you're a talent above all else guy. Would you want a player, specifically a quarterback, who came to your school only because of NIL money? Yes. Would you worry about okay? But you know, you, you understand the question. Like a kid who would never consider Wake Forest. I think that's going to happen he shows all up, the time. So people better get used to it. Yeah. If it's Nico, fair. yeah. If Nico is the person, do you think he would be committed to Tennessee right now? I don't think it's as out of the realm of possibility as you do, but probably not. I mean, Oregon was, wasn't Oregon considered the favorite for a while? It went from Oregon being the favorite to suddenly Tennessee swooping in and getting him. Yeah. Very quickly. Um, yeah. So, um, I, all right. Yeah. You wrote in your mailbag this week, really good. You took a, que- a good question and kind of twisted it a little bit and made it personal. Um, the question was basically what, What's a recruiting visit? You know, you're obviously you've covered recruiting for for us for about what almost two years now. But before that, when you covered Ohio State, you covered recruiting because that's a big part of the beat there. So you, you've been around to a lot of different extensively places recruiting. Yeah. yeah, and you've 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 always enjoyed covering recruiting. And you took this answer in a different way than most people expected. And what, why don't you just tell us about what, what you wrote about? Spend a few minutes on that. It was, it was, And I really encourage everyone to go read Ari's mailbag at, at The Athletic. Yeah, and I hope that people went from the mailbag into the actual story that I wrote about him two years ago. But um, somebody asked me on the mailbag about uh, memorable recruiting trips and where I went. You know, and honestly, Mitch, if you think about all the you know, covering Ohio State for 10 years, between the bowl trips that they've been on, which is every it's major bowl, yeah. <laughs> uh, the recruiting camps that I visited for in different parts of the country because Ohio State was recruiting half the camp, I've basically seen the entire country, you know. So, uh, and it's all been through work. And somebody said, "What was your most memorable trip?" And it was a funny timing for that question because I don't know how many people who are listening to this are familiar with it, but. Harry Miller, who was a former five-star prospect out of the Buford, Georgia area, which I think is the greater Atlanta area. Um, I went down and visited him two or three years ago now, or 2018. Hell, it's been four years. During a game week to write a story during a very sensitive time in my career. Uh, The hardest week or hardest month, I should say, of my career was when the Urban Meyer-Zach Smith scandal was happening at Ohio State. Um. I was a one-man show. I didn't have the best editor on the planet, you know, editing my stuff at that time. Like you do now. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Compliment. Except, and I was and I was writing about very sensitive issue like domestic violence, you know, and that was a very tough thing to do at that time. And I was up with anxiety every night. Am I doing this correctly? Am I writing in the right tone? 
am I am I giving people a fair shake? Am I being uh, you know real enough for people? Am I criticizing Urban Meyer enough for his role and whatever you know happened and all that stuff? That was tough. But when the dust settled for that, I found out that Harry Miller's mother, this recruit's mother, was once a, a victim of domestic violence herself, and Harry Miller stayed committed to Ohio State through that. So I thought that would be a very interesting story because I know if I had a mother who had, you know, gone through sure. that terrible yeah. thing and a school that I was committed to had an issue with it, I might not want to go there anymore. So I called Harry Miller and his family and I said, I'm coming down. I want to spend a day with you guys. I want to write about this. So is Buford, Georgia, the coolest place I've been on a recruiting trip? No. It's Atlanta's cool. I'm actually going into Atlanta in April to see Bill Burr. I like it, um, but it's not the most memorable place in the world. But the trip was because I went down there and they invited me into their home. They spent time with me. His mother, Christina, is a wonderful person. And we talked about very serious, very hard and, and very real things for a bunch of people who had just met each other. And I left their house that day thinking, I cannot believe these people trusted me enough to have these in-depth conversations with me and to to share the, the intimate details about things that had occurred with them and, and and what's going on at Ohio State and all and how it impacts them. And I knew driving back from Georgia to Ohio after that was over with that I did not want to let them down. And I think I wrote a very good story that adequately told what they wanted to convey. And you can go find that on The Athletic. It's linked in this week's mailbag. But then this week, before I was asked this question for the mailbag, I read Harry Miller's heartwarming note that he put on Twitter about retiring medically from football and having suicidal thoughts and even coming close to attempting suicide. And it was one of the most emotional things I've ever read. And, you know, you hear about something as serious as suicide, and if it's happening far away from you, you don't think twice about it. But to read it the way that he wrote it was was quite moving. And it just reminds you how serious of an issue this is and and how people who are having those thoughts most of the time or a lot of the time can't can't control those thoughts. And he wants to help people. So I thought that Harry Miller, who's one of the most brilliant young men I've ever met in my entire life, and I'm not just saying that as a result of this, I'm saying it because of how I made was made to feel when I met him. Um, is out there helping people again. So I encourage you all to go read Harry Miller's tweet from last week and to eternalize that, um, to try to be a little bit nicer to people. Um, I know I can be an asshole. I got into a verbal altercation with a person at 7-Eleven uh, this morning. Uh, so, I mean, it, it happens. But just try to be better. Um, and I just wanted to say on this podcast that um, in recruiting, it's very fickle, as I wrote, right, in the um, – yep. In the mailbag, I interview a thousand prospects. I interview their parents. They go to a school across the country. I forget about them for three years. The next thing you know, you're you're writing about them, uh, you know, in the NFL draft and watching them play on Sundays. But there are certain people that leave a mark on you in this. And I will say that without a doubt, that Christina and Harry Miller and their family left a mark on me that I'll remember for the rest of my life. And I'm I'm very glad that Harry is still here and, and doing what Harry does best, which is helping others and, and being selfless. So I know we joke well, a lot sir. about uh, stuff on this podcast. And for the most part, it's, it's mentioned, I, you know, bickering back and forth, but 
I appreciate you, Mitch, for, for giving me an opportunity to say that because it was important to me. But also just to remember, too, that, you know, when you're on Twitter and we because we, we do have a tendency as as people, reporters and fans to break down these kids like their numbers because they are right. How many five stars have committed since this point and how many top 10 100 players are in this class and whatever. And it's just like each of these people come from unique places, unique families in unique circumstances and you know, tweeting things at them or being mean or rooting for people to fail or the things that you say on Twitter can really have an impact on people, you know, and, and I even get it sometimes. So um, just try to be a little bit better. And, and I will too. Well said. Now, another mailbag question. Do you want to hear what happened Far at Seven Eleven? Oh, yeah. Because you your, your eyes peaked up a little bit when I well, said Well, I mean, yeah, I mean, it's not often that a grown man gets into a it wasn't, it wasn't, no, I didn't scream. It was with the clerk who worked there. So I went in and I. What are you getting? Just a. I, I have, I like those, like, I'm, I really love diet or regular soda, which is the reason why I'm overweight. And I've cut Country it out. Soda. No, no, I've cut it out completely. Okay. But every now and then I get a hankering for carbonation. And unfortunately, I don't like seltzer water. There's something about it. It okay. just is too harsh for me. They have these bang energy drinks. Have you ever had these? No. Oh, uh, uh they're just tasty. They're zero calories and they have good flavor and they're, they're carbonated. So I'm sure they're good for you if they're tasty they're probably, and zero they're calories. Probably not, they're probably not great for you, but there's no sugar <laughs> in them. So every now and then I like to treat myself. So I went into the 7-Eleven while running errands this morning and I go to the place. I get the can of, of the energy drink. I go to the front counter and I set it down and the person looks at me and turns around and puts her back to me and engages in a conversation with a person that works there about something non-work related which was aggravating to me. But as and, and like, if you don't know this about me, I get very hostile inside with incompetence in public very quickly. It's a, okay. it's a tick that I've inherited. It must from be my fun dad. at restaurants when things. No, no, I, 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 it's not restaurants. It's usually when I'm okay. standing in line for something um, yeah, okay. like a rental car agency, for instance, <laughs> or at the airport or at any other place where somebody can ask a nonsensical question, hold up the entire line. But I gave her 30, 35 seconds. Okay. Before I snapped and like, it was like bubbling, you know, it was like down here and then it was like bubbling and bubbling and bubbling. And I just said, do you guys mind finishing this discussion when I'm done? (laughs) Like, and I said it in that tone. Like I I, I was like, like, do you, can you, cause they were talking about what happened over the weekend or something. It's important. And the person turned around and the person turned around and she like rolled her eyes at me. And I'm just like, she goes, she didn't say anything. And I just said, you know, it's not real nice to, you know, just ignore somebody when I'm, all I want to do is get out of here. You know what I mean? And that was it. So I think she was, uh, it wasn't like a screaming match, but it was kind of like, uh, can we get our, get our shit together kind of a moment? Because let's be honest, you got one major thing, responsibility when you're working at Seven Eleven. I think it's to check the people out who are waiting in line. So anyway, I, uh, but again, I'll be better. Like, I, I don't know. Yeah. Like, I, I don't know that if that's to me. I was, I'm trying to think I was at a place the other day and the service was really bad. Or I ordered something on the line, and I got a I got an email about filling out a survey, and I was like, "Do I complain about them or not?" And I decided not to. I was like, "I don't want to get anyone in trouble." So, yeah, I've never filled out a I survey. Hear- I'm very very into voicing my opinion to people to their face so they can hear I, me. at the moment. Yeah, okay. If you're, it's a good point. But if you're going to say that's something, the thing, though, too, Mitch, I don't ever complain. Like I've never sent back anything at a restaurant. I don't get. I just get angry when people are inconsiderate. You know what my kids make fun of me? Because I'll always say, I'm not the type 
that sends stuff back are I'm not the type that does this and they say you are the type because you're doing it now. So I guess I am. I don't think I've ever sent back a meal at a restaurant in my life. I have. Well, something happens to me like I'll order something with no croutons because as you know. Well, that's different. You have a dietary restriction. I just like so if I go to a restaurant and they bring me out something that's not very good. I just I fucked up. You leave. Yeah. I mean, it's like (laughs) you just and then get the post dinner whopper, you know. Let's move on because we got a really good question. I'm interested to hear your answer. This. Okay. Max C, thanks for the question. It's a good one. If you're creating a new college tomorrow and could pick the location, where would you choose? Any underrated recruiting locations that may be, may be more advantageous due to less Power 5 competition. So I'm assuming this is a Power 5 school that Max is talking we're, about. We're creating a Power 5 school is what he's saying. Yeah, we're creating... I'm I'm going with I'll go first. Do you have something in mind? Because we talked about this yesterday. We usually don't do on our mailbag questions. We don't do a lot of show prep, so we can make it kind of. Did I have like where would I put my Power Five my, school? Mine would be San Diego. Because you're still in that Southern California market. UCLA doesn't recruit well, especially now. I mean, I, this is probably a a scenario in which we're not saying like there's any coaches in place, but right now Chip Kelly does not compete at a you know high Power Five level. So you're still in Southern California, but you're in San Diego. So you kind of have that city to itself. That's a good one. Two kind of hit me, but I don't know if it's like a good place for lack of competition. But Tampa, Florida. That's a good one. Doesn't have a power five team. Now there's, there's two state schools nearby, but not in this, in the, in its backyard. But if you're going to create a power five school that has all the funding and the resources that can recruit a certain type of player, I mean, how far away is that from Gainesville? That's like a four hour drive from Gainesville, right? I don't think it's that or far. three and a half hours, maybe. I don't know. But Tampa is very accessible to Southern to Southern Florida. And, you know, but Florida is also one of the most two hours. Yeah. Again, your geography. So maybe, maybe, yeah, it does. I mean, driving times. How am I supposed to know how far is the drive everywhere? Um, but you don't have to be tw- you don't have to be off by a factor of a hundred percent. And power five, maybe Philadelphia. I would say. What about five years ago? I might say Cincinnati, but now Cincinnati is uh, yeah. Cincinnati is going to be a power five school. What's the biggest city? In, what's the biggest city in? How about Wilmington, Delaware? I mean, there's no players there, so it's not like you're getting any in-state players. I mean, but Wilmington is what? An hour away like from Maryland. Philadelphia? The, Wilmington's less than, I think it's less than an hour from Philadelphia. So how about just say Philly then, because Temple's not a Power 5 school. Okay. so And plus, New Jersey Philly. isn't, New Jersey is completely wide open too, because Rutgers has some years to prove that it can do what it says yeah. it's doing. And it's, it's gotten better, but there's a ton of talent on the Eastern seaboard. When we went into this, did you think that my fictitious school would be in Southern California? I think and yours that your answer Coast? is probably the best, to be honest. Thank you, bud. Because Thanks. California is uh, is a good place, but San Diego is a very desirable place to live. And if they were in the Pac-12, I think they would be pretty good. Yeah, I might be. Uh, my daughter got a uh, internship offer in San Diego this summer, so might have to go out there and help her move out. Move out. Yeah, move, you should. Uh, That's in. you should you should encourage her to do that. Yeah, I've never been. Been to L.A., but I've never have you ever been to like anything south of L.A., like Orange County uh, no. or San Diego or any of these places? Been a long. I've been to Long Beach. Okay, 
that's basically you've got a lot to see i'd get out there go to la jolla maybe take a trip up to orange county you know fly out of lax while you're out there you might as well go see the sites because mitch and i had an argument on our text like a month ago about whether or not laguna beach is the most beautiful place in the world and he said it doesn't move him and he's never been there and it was offensive i didn't say it wasn't the most beautiful place i just you know, we were talking about where we could live with money. And I, I said I would love to live in New York City if I had If, if you had a f- $100 billion, you would buy a sick flat in New York City? That would be your number? Well, I'd probably buy a house in Laguna no, Beach I'm saying, and a... Here's the, would, here's the situation. You get an unlimited amount of money to buy a single property. And then once you get that single property, you no longer have the money other than to you know maintain it properly. Yeah. Where are you buying that property? New York? Either New York City or Laguna, like you said. I, I'd have. Oh, I don't so know. you're in you, on Laguna you, then? Yeah, yeah. I mean, okay. Lincoln Riley's house was th- pretty persuasive. My understanding was, well, that's not even Laguna. That's in like L.A. Okay. Laguna's insane, and I my understanding was that you wouldn't want to, and that's what I was saying. So no, if, I wouldn't say I wouldn't want to. Okay. No, that, I I, I misread. You know, I I mistexted or whatever. Okay. You, you took it out okay, of context. Okay, so then yeah. So, so not Norman, right, Oklahoma then. Yeah. Uh, no, no, but Norman would be probably third. I think that the um, beach would be the only deciding factor of, of that decision. I'm not a huge beach guy. Do you like looking just, at the ocean? Yeah, I do like looking, but I'm not, I don't like, I'm not going to go sit on the beach for three hours. Like we, well, I, if you bought your my, property, you'd be sitting in your backyard looking at it. Yeah. Yeah. So I could sit on the, on my deck looking at the beach where I can go in and get whatever I want. And not like, you know, they've got homes that like their entire 3000 square foot living room has floor to ceiling windows and it's only water. Yeah. Yeah, I know. Yeah, and you never have to have sand on you because I'm with yeah, you. I don't like key. sand. I'd rather be in a pool looking at the ocean than in the water. I'm with you. All right, another sort of related um, mailback question from Matthew W. Somewhat of an offbeat question, but what effect does celebrity recruiting recruiters have? Like LeBron James on the sideline for OSU games or snooping at practices at Pete Carroll USC. Do these kinds of things have a large pull with kids or is it more of a circus than anything? I think people are going to be surprised by this. I don't think it really matters, dude. Like, I think uh, okay. our producer is a Miami like fan. You're not, you're not sure. It doesn't hurt, but you're not sure it helps. Our producer, yeah. Mike, is a Miami fan. And I don't know yeah. if he's able to come on here and like rebut if he, if, I don't know if he has a mic set up, but I don't think that having Michael Irvin on your sideline or anybody else who went to Miami really makes it easier to recruit there. Like, I, I don't like, has anybody ever been like, you know what? Michael Irvin went here, so I'm going there. Like LeBron James was a huge Ohio state guy and went to the national championship game and was on the sideline for a few Michigan games and, and Ohio state was recruiting well, but I don't think any prospect ever was like, yeah, LeBron's a big okay, Ohio think, State fan, so I'm going to go here. Do you think there's a difference between Michael Irvin? I mean, LeBron's sort of a different category, but I think the question's more like select, like rappers and yeah. And, but I think that what it could, what it does probably is that it enhances a, a person's visit, where they can go home and tell like, oh my god, I can't believe it. This visit was awesome, and I guess who I met, LeBron, or guess who I saw, Snoop Dogg. But like, I don't know if that is a selling point for your program, especially because most celebrities like have no affiliation whatsoever in football. You know, so I guess former players, like if you go to a visit and you've got 10 former players wearing Rolexes uh, because they're in the NFL, that's a nice keen reminder of like what you could achieve if you go to that place. But I don't know if like a, a borderline celebrity mascot is is as much of a needle mover as it is uh, as, as that people think it is. I don't know. Mike, do you, are you able to say anything? Um, 
Yeah. So I, I guess the only pushback I have for that is yes. If Michael Irvin was to be on the sidelines for a Miami game now, sure. But I'm saying back in the nineties, right. When he was the all-star the, the pro bowl receiver, super bowl winner on the Cowboys now on the sidelines uh, for Miami games. I think that would have more of an impact. So, t- so take a couple of the hottest stars now, right? In the NFL. Who would they be for Miami now? Well, I, obviously it's a little different for Miami now because they don't have those players right now in the NFL because they're all either retired or whatnot. But if you had LSU, right? Say you had Joe Burrow, Jamar Chase, um, Justin Jefferson, all on the sidelines with these players during the games, and you, you're a recruit, and you see those guys, you're telling me that's not a that might not impact your decision. I mean, LSU had uh, Odell Beckham Jr. throwing hundred dollar bills around in the locker room, and they signed their worst class in three years last year. Like, I mean, I I know that, like, sure, yeah, I, I know what you're saying. I know what you're saying. I just I think it's an enhancement. I don't think that it's something that is a decision making thing. No, and and it's not a necessity either. I would I wouldn't. I I think yeah. it's just an added. Um, Doesn't hurt. But also, cannot. every program that's that's recruiting at that level has somebody. So it's like it might be and like Snoop Dogg, I think, would be the least important one. That guy's everywhere. Um, <laughs> I, I feel like I if I were a recruit, I would be more impressed to see recent alums with expensive outfits on from their NFL money than I would to see a celebrity rapper at the game. Yeah, that's fair. Because I'd be more swayed by personal experience. But yeah, I, I mean, obviously it doesn't hurt. Um, man. Jeremy Shockey, get them, get him on the sidelines at Miami. See what goes on. It is crazy to me that Miami doesn't have a bone of who, who's Miami's number one. Maybe that's the problem. Ed Reed, <laughs> Ed yeah. Reed, Ray Lewis. Yeah, Ray Lewis. All right, one more question, then we'll get to the trivia. Um, you answered this in your mailbag, but it was it was a good answer and something we can talk about. Matthew S. Do college coaches genuinely believe that every kid they offer will get playing time at their school? And I, you talk specifically about quarterbacks because you need you need a certain amount of position. You, you as you said in your mailback question, you needed to fill out your roster. You you to practice scout team. You need a certain amount of players, and you can't just go into a season with two quarterbacks. Now you can have some walk ons and stuff. But talk about your your answer. I thought that was interesting. I don't think you need four quarterbacks on scholarship. No, that's why I said you need four quarterbacks probably to practice. Yeah, you can have two. But you can have, you he can said have offered scholarship. So yeah, I, think, true. I think the vast majority of, of, I mean, maybe now you need four because the transfer portal is so crazy. And back when yeah. um, Ohio State took a fourth quarterback with no intention of ever playing that person, the transferring wasn't quite as prevalent. And now if you need a fourth scholarship quarterback or a third, you can just pluck one out of the portal from, a, from another school. Um but I think for the most part that the answer to that question would be yes, but there are reasons for offering a player at a time that have nothing to do with how you feel about them. And I think Iowa State has done a tremendous job of this, you know, and Iowa State is like the first offer everywhere. Like if you go look, and part of that is because they're really good at evaluating, but I think part of that too is to put pressure on in-state schools. So Iowa State spends a ton of time in Nebraska, and they are able to offer uh, out-of-state players sooner because that puts Nebraska in a situation where the players in their own state feel like that they are underappreciated by by Nebraska. So does Iowa State intend on taking every single person that they offer a scholarship to when they're sophomores? 
Probably not, but I think it's a strategic play. I think that you have to remember that recruiting is a game of risk, and I always say this, but it is. It's where are you going to put your troops? Where are you going to spend your time, your money, your energy? Which relationships are you going to really invest in? Which offers are you going to to, to pursue the most? And when you're one of those schools like Iowa State that doesn't have a ton of in-state talent, you can sprinkle out offers like Halloween candy anywhere you want and see what happens. And a lot of times that puts a tremendous amount of pressure on the schools that you're recruiting against because then that sets an expectation with those prospects that you should be getting an offer from them. Um, so when it comes to recruiting, it's more than just uh, – you know, offer means we want you to play right away. So for the most part, I think that when you offer somebody a scholarship, you view them as somebody who could develop at the very least into somebody that can contribute for you. Um, and if you're taking I, a lot of players for depth that you don't think can play, then you're not going to have a job very long. Right. I, I think there are a lot of schools that don't recruit any, at, at an elite level late in the process if they've got an open scholarship. Now, again, that's changed a little bit because of the portal. Every school wants to have some open scholarships. But there might be a projectable defensive lineman who just started playing football a year ago, or an offensive lineman who's you know six five but two hundred ten twenty pounds, and they'll they'll offer that kid a scholarship at the last minute. And if you ask the coaches in an honest moment, do you think he's ever going to play for you? They'll probably say probably not, but he's worth the risk. Now that doesn't happen at Ohio State, Alabama, Georgia. It happens at you know middle tier schools that don't recruit at an elite level. Yeah, yeah. And if you are in a situation where you're taking players that you are doubting are good enough, then you're not doing a good job. Because And, and yes. college coaches like to look at things like, we see something in this player that nobody else sees, or we're identifying something that those guys are missing. And, you know, so for the most part... They all part, have big egos. Yeah, yeah nobody's saying, hey, this, this kid sucks, we're going to take him, but he sucks. Like, I, I hope that is not happening. And if it is, then that means that that person's probably not going to have a job in a while. Yeah. So, Okay. You ready for some trivia? Yeah, I'm already one for one today, bud, so so do your worst. That did not count. All right, Ari. How many teams, how many of the teams in the 2022 Sweet 16 have signed a five-star football player in the last five years? Am I allowed to look at the Sweet 16 list? Uh, Hey, you you do what you need Uh, to do. Because I don't remember. Like, Gonzaga doesn't have one, right? So a, a, a top 100 player? No, listen to the question. Five star. Oh, five star. I mean, you should get it by looking at the list. Okay, I'm just looking at the list here. There's there's one that you should get right away, Ari. Okay, so Arizona hasn't had one. Gonzaga hasn't had one. Purdue hasn't had one. Kansas hasn't had one. Villanova hasn't had one. Texas Tech has not had one. Duke hasn't. Houston hasn't. North Carolina has. That's one. A, it's a two-part question, but go, so go okay. ahead. Providence hasn't. Michigan. Ha- Michigan. Michigan has. That's two. Miami has. That's three. Three. Right. Okay. How many combined five stars have signed with those schools in the past five years? Six. Eleven. Eleven. UNC. The most, Travis Shaw, Zach Rice, Keyshawn Silver, and Tony Grimes. Yeah, that's four. I, and then I thought that yeah, Michigan and the other one only had... They're tied. Michigan, four. They've had four or five stars in five Will, years? Will Johnson, J.J. McCarthy, oh. Dax, Daxton Hill, and Christopher Hinton. Yeah, that was where Miami, I mis- miscalculated. I forgot about Miami a few of those guys. Miami three. Leonard Taylor, James Williams, and Lorenzo yeah, Lingard. Six was a shitty um, guess. Yeah, so... 
you got the first part after you cheated, and then you were awful in the second. I mean, part. it wasn't cheating. I just didn't remember who was on the list. I just can't. I'm not a huge basketball guy. Hope your luck in Vegas is good. I hope you enjoy your bachelor party, Ari. You know what I'm most looking forward to? What? Going to bed early on Thursday night before all my friends get there and sleeping in without a baby crying. Oh, we've talked about this. It's glorious. There's nothing better yeah, than sleeping in. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have a good meal, and I've got a few friends who are going to be there with me. We'll have a few beers. We'll watch the, the Sweet 16 games on Thursday, and then I'm going to ha- take it easy that night. And then Friday and Saturday are going to be an utter shit show. So, Is your friend who is scared of pirates going to be no, there? No. Okay, good. Because you never know when a pirate's going to come aboard your... So you know what's funny? Vegas. We started this bit on uh, the Andy Staples show where people want to see my Google history. And <laughs> and so I like un I like took a screenshot of it and grappling hook was one of them. <laughs> so did you have and, to like, explain why? People are like, okay, so you want to know what time Chipotle opens. You want to know what <laughs> sizes uh, pants they have at Bonobos. And you, why were you go- like, what? Like I buy stuff at Bonobos. Without the, it's a great store. Without the context yeah. of grappling hook you look at that and you're just like what is wrong with this person did you explain it and i haven't explained it to anybody yet but the explanation is that my friend is afraid of going on cruises because he's afraid of the ship being overtaken <laughs> by pirates which is the most unbelievably irrational and hilarious fear a human being could possibly have in 2022 and we started talking about that because mitch is irrationally afraid of being mauled by bears on hikes <laughs> Which yes. also is insane, but not nearly yeah. as insane as the. And I said, so how are these pirates going to get up on the ship? And my friend said, grappling hook. And I have not <laughs> laughed when he said, when he said grappling hook. I don't think I've laughed that hard very often in my in, in the last fifteen years of my guy? life. Yeah, he's is pretty it? smart. Um, and then I googled grappling hook so I could send one to Mitch as a joke, uh, yeah. which is why I, know, I was watching the game the other night. Yeah, and I get a text from Ari with a link to Amazon. Showed Heather. You can buy a grappling hook on Amazon for sixty nine dollars. As it you turns out, send it to your friends. What isn't? So, yeah, well, I, what's an actual use of a grappling hook in like everyday life? Like, is it for is it for rock climbing? Is it for people who are climbing up on their roofs? Like, what are we what are we using that for? I don't know. Ship Good question. Uh, ship yeah. robbery. So it, the the brief history. Ari, I was in North Carolina, went on a hike in Asheville, and I was saying how my family loves to go on hikes, and I'm lukewarm on hikes. And he's like, "Well, don't you love the exercise?" And I was like, "Yeah, I mean, I love the workout." It seems weird to me that I, you wouldn't love hikes because you're right, a big runner. But I have an irrational fear of like seeing a bear. And we went to Wyoming. Went my daughter was working this summer at uh, Na- Grand Teton National Park, and I was convinced I was about fifty fifty that I was going to get mauled by a bear on the. Were trip, you like legitimately not, so. anxious during the trip because of it? Not like like walking around town on our hike. I was. And then, so you were on so your we hike and everybody was enjoying and saw, themselves, and you were like internally having a meltdown. Like, I hope we don't we, run into a bear right now. It was, no, it wasn't a meltdown. We saw two bears in a trip, in a high in a tree while we were waiting to take a ferry. And the ironic thing is, these bears were probably shared, scared shitless of all the people around. So they were up in the tree all day, probably waiting for us to leave. <laughs> so you but, saw the so, bear and you're like, oh yeah. my God, it's happening. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, the bear's going to, uh, there's like a hundred people down here, and the bear is going to single me out. No, I don't mind. It's the one-on-one confrontation. If I'm in a big group, I can run faster than 95% of the people in that group. The bear's not going to get me in a group. But the bear actually could catch you if you was one-on-one, too. Right, right. That's my my point. Because bears are are fast. Like, bears would be great five-star defensive tackles. They're big and strong. They maul people, and they're, they're deceptively fast. Yeah, I mean, definitely five. I mean, I could see Bear Alexander, right? Are you afraid of Bear Alexander? 
Um, I mean, he's probably a nice guy. He's an offensive lineman, right? Yeah. I yeah, unless I mean, unless I was a quarterback, if I were a quarterback, I'd probably yeah. be afraid, afraid of him. So. That's yeah. All right. Well, this, thank yeah, you for this, listening this is, to Stars Matter, <laughs> uh, Irrational Fear Edition. Um, and what's your irrational fear? Getting married? No, I'm not afraid at all uh, of that. That's um, what you say. Think about it for next week. You know, I, I really don't know. Not being waited on properly at 7-Eleven? My irrational fear is being behind six people in a car rental agency line. Yeah. And when you've been listening to them get to the front. You're hungry, and you're hungry. No, it's just like I always feel like I want to get out of there and it's an hour convert. It's an hour wait because people in front yeah. of you are asking really moronic questions. It's like, so when I get up to the counter, I say, here's my driver's license. Here's my credit card. No, thank you on the insurance. My credit card covers it. I'll take the the full size car per my reservation, and then it's it's a three minute process. Other people go it. up and they ask nine hundred questions about everything, and it takes forever. And I'm just tired of incompetent people in public. I'm with you. All right, do your thing. Thank you so much for listening to the latest edition of Stars Matter, uh, a rational figure edition. Next week we will be back with some other great idea because our <laughs> show is awesome. We're arrogant, but it's true. Thanks for listening. 